God's love for the harvest. My assignment this morning is to introduce God and to get out of the way. That is really all of our assignments. Is to introduce God and get out of the way. We see that in the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. That he was asked the question, are you the one that we have been anticipating to come? Because there's chaos in this nation. And we were told that one will come who will be the savior of the world. And I see that you have some characteristics of the one that I read. And John the Baptist says, "Uh uh-uh. My job is simply to introduce him and get out of the way. So I must decrease so that he can increase. And if we want to see God do more things in 2017, we have to declare that we're going to decrease so that he can increase. We have to decrease our emotions because we cannot have an emotional relationship with God In its totality, because sometimes God will purposely offend your head to get to your heart. Our assignment is to introduce him and get out of the way. And if we can do that, my brothers and sisters, we will see a harvest of which he says we would not have room to contain. And so if you want to talk about God's love, you have to talk about God's heart. Harvest is not just a time for celebration. I shared last week that the harvest was vital to the survival of an agricultural nation like the nation of Israel and those in the Old Testament time. For you and I that just go to Kroger or Walmart or Myers and just grab something out of the fridge or grab meat that was put in the freezer, that's not how it got there, believe it or not. That someone had to harvest that. Someone had to had to raise, they had to believe God for the rain to come in its right season. They had to believe that this was going to be a good year. Someone say good year. year. That by faith they planted something deep into the ground, believing that it was going to produce a harvest. And understand, my brothers and sisters, that when you plant an apple seed, you don't expect pears. That's foolish. That's crazy. That's not how the law of harvest works. You can wish for it to be that way. You can hope for it to be that way. You can vote it to be that way. But if it's not a law from the creator himself, you just frustrate your life. Does that make sense? So we now know that if we plant a seed, we believe that that's what we're going to reap. I shared before that we don't believe in karma as a church. That makes great conversation, but it doesn't get you what you want. We believe in the law of sowing and reaping. That's what we believe in. And so the harvest is not just a time of of celebration of where we plant a seed and, and the children of Israel and God recognized the importance of the harvest because he made this statement. He says, I don't want you to ever forget the harvest. And so he connected a feast or a festival connected to the particular harvest. If it was Passover, there was a certain type of harvest. If it was Pentecost, it was a certain type of harvest. If it was the ingathering or the tabernacle, he would have a certain type of harvest. So God wants you and I to notice the harvest because it reflects a characteristic of God. He wanted the nation of Israel to understand that without his blessing, you will never prosper. He's emphatic about that. He wants to be clear. He wants to be concise. He doesn't want you to be confused. God has made it real simple. I'm in control. I'm in charge. But I have a heart so big that if you know my heart, you know my love. 
And so harvest is the time of, of when they would see and they would get it. They had so much trust in God that the first fruits that they would have implanted, they would take the first fruit and they will acknowledge the one who blessed them. And they would say, God, this belongs to you. My mind and my children and my family and my employees are wondering, how are we going to survive? But I have to let them know, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, that set the rain in its season, we wouldn't have this produce, we wouldn't have this, this abundance. So I have to acknowledge God. My life has to acknowledge God. And so the Bible says very clear, a fool has said in their heart there is no God. The person who declares there is no God, we can say based on the word of God that you're a fool. To say there is no God. And so God doesn't want us to be people who are ignorant. And so we have to then understand if you want to know God's love, you have to know God's heart. And oftentimes we look within our own heart and we see the pain and we see the pressures and we see the challenges and we see the confusion and we we portray that back to God. But that's how God sees us. And so we miss then the joyous occasions of where we can say, if it had not been for the Lord, it was on my side. See, my assignment this morning and your assignment is simply to introduce God and get out of the way. And in introducing God, what you were telling people is that God's love is connected to God's heart. Every prophet. Every prophet, that was their assignment, was to explain God's heart. Now, the harvest was not just a time of joyous occasion, because I can't just look at one side of the coin. I have to look at the other side of the coin as well. And that harvest was also an indication of God's judgment. Ooh, there's a word we don't want to hear. Rowan, you had me at joyous. Now you bring the judgment in. But as a minister of God, as, as a lover of God, it, it, I, I can't just talk about the joy and not talk about the judgment. Because yet, both of these things, though we perceive them as God being different, because we look at the Old Testament, we see this warrior God, this judgment God. And then we come to the New Testament, and we see this God of grace and God of mercy. And so we confuse to him. God says, no, I'm not confused, because what you're confused about, you don't know my heart. It is only my heart that can mend two aspects of who I am. And if you understand my heart, I can bring the judgment. And I can bring the joy. I can bring the judgment. I can bring the joy. I can bring the judgment. I can bring the joy. And as you know my heart, you get closer to, to me. And then, and then you will be able to understand that, that my love is so amazing and so awesome for you, my children. Huh? We have to understand the judgment. So there were days, there were seasons where the children of Israel had no rain. They prayed for it. They, they, they saw God for it. But there was no rain. There was the judgment of God because they forgot his heart. And God is saying, I released a law. And my love is connected to my law. And if I have to withhold rain, something is wrong in this connection here. And I'm consistent with my love. I'm consistent with my heart. So someone has changed in this relationship. Someone's heart has moved away from my heart. And so God continues to repeat it over and over and over again to every man that's in this place, to every woman in this place. God wants you to know that his heart is so massive because only God can take a loss and can bring about transformation in your life. Only God can take circumstances and situations and bring them about for, for, for your good. Though it wasn't good. And it wasn't God. He can take that because that's how big his heart really is. We have an assignment to introduce him and to get out of the way. That's our assignment is. And so here it is now. One of the greatest scriptures that explains this is Jesus. He is perfect theology. 
He is the one that introduced God and got out of the way. And so he begins now in John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17, a well-familiar scripture to many of us. And what the scripture is, it's an interview with Nicodemus, a religious individual who knew the law, who knew the Old Testament, who grew up as a Hebrew, who was skilled in the law. And here he is now, he's, he's baffled, he is, he is troubled, his limited mind has now encountered the unlimited God. <laughs> his limited mind has encountered the unlimited God. And there are many things that Jesus could have revealed about the Father in that moment when he had his attention, young man. And when, and when he got his attention, because he's here to introduce God and get out of the way. And there's many things he could have said about God. In this interview with this religious individual who knew the law, who knew the Torah, who knew it from an infant, he was skilled, he was, he was a PhD, he, he was the elite, he was part of Harvard, he was part of Yale, the highest school in all the world. He was able to get A's in every class. This was Nicodemus. But he encountered Jesus, who knew his assignment was to introduce God and get out of the way. <laughs> I know that's resonate with somebody. They say, that's it. I finally get it. That's my assignment. Not to introduce my pain. Come on. Not to introduce my struggle. Not to introduce the heartache. Not to introduce what I'm going through. But introduce God and step out of the way. I don't understand why this is happening. But I'm here to introduce God and get out of the way and watch God work. Oh, God, you are good. Nation, he could have told them anything. He could have told them how, how, how God split the Red Sea open and they walked through. He could have told Nicodemus how the intricate details of what God did in that moment. Yes, he could have, but he chose not to. He could have told them about how he sent manna from heaven. He says, what is that? And sustained them. And the Bible says for 45 years, the sole of the shoes did not wear out. And that God provided for them every single day in the wilderness. Jesus could have told Nicodemus about the miracle of the manna, but he did not. He could, he could tell them all types of things. He could tell them how the axe had floated. He could have told them how, he said, dig a ditch and I'm going to put water in it. And he could tell them all the miracles of God and all, and all the encounters. Because yes, Jesus, the Christ, was with God from all eternity. So there was no limit to what he could, he could have in, in, in imparted into Nicodemus. But he chose to tell him the heart of God. Because if you know the heart of God, you will understand the pardon of the Red Sea. If you know the heart of God, you understand how manna came down from heaven. If you understand God, you see how he told him to, to, to dig a ditch and he put water. If you understand the love of God, you see how the axe had flowed. If you understand the heart of God, the love of God, you will understand the harvest that God wants to bring to you. So here he is now, and he says, I, I, I know at football games they put it up, and I know people put it underneath here, and I know this particular scripture is famous for everybody, but I'm here to tell you that this particular text that Nicodemus received was a revelation of God from the revelation that God had for us, and it says so eloquently in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. Huh? In God's love, Jesus got his assignment. In the love of God, he received his assignment. For God so loved that he gave. Because he recognized that there is a harvest that needs to be healed. There's a harvest that needs to be healed. Their hearts are broken. And we're going to see that the prophets in the Old Testament, their assignment, every single one of the prophets from Malachi and Isaiah and Jeremiah, every one of their assignment was to declare to a nation who had forgotten the heart of God to keep telling that God's heart is big. Don't worship those foreign idols. Don't worship those other gods. They will bring corruption to you. They are not good for you. They are not for your benefit. And every prophet, that's what he's supposed to do. And so here comes now, the crown jewel of God comes now and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he continues and he says, That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Before I can release you and talk about the Lord of the harvest, we have to understand God's love for the harvest. Because anything we do that's not connected to God's love will become man's agenda. Man manipulated. Man orchestrated. And by the way, it's not working out good, is it? So let's actually look at the love of God and see what God has for us. And so Jesus then does this in John 3, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. On Thursdays when you um, post on Facebook, I think they have throwback Thursday, I believe that's what they call it, right? You, you, you throw back a picture and a friend of mine's put a picture of me playing basketball um, 25 years ago. Um, I think Kathleen saw, saw 25 years ago. I was mean and looking nice and I was in my pose like this, you know what I'm saying? And I said, how did you get that picture? Huh? 25 years ago. Playing basketball. Throwback Thursday. Amen. Well, we're going to have a throwback Sunday. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and we're going to see where God's love started. Amen, somebody. So let's get back to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. I want you to understand that God has always been pursuing you and he's always been pursuing me. As you go back to Genesis, we want to show where it starts because here is my, here is my passion. Hear my heart, please. Hear my heart. We have to be able to identify. We have to be able to identify God's harvest and the harvest that comes from the enemy. Because if you receive a harvest from the enemy and give credit to God, you will always be confused. And you will live in bondage. So God has made it very clear, very clear, of how things is. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 24, watch this now. For those who are familiar with the scripture, for those who aren't, give me a few moments just to explain what's taking place here. God had blessed Adam and Eve with a harvest. And the abundance of everything they needed. And they went ahead and they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. Simple, isn't it? But profound in its application. And so because of that now, Adam and Eve, the nations of the world, think about it. Adam and Eve, the first two created. So the nations of the world... Go back to John chapter 3 again. For God so loved the world. So we can take that in the then known world and do a throwback Sunday and put them both in Adam and Eve. And the purpose for that is to see the consistency of God from the garden all the way to the grave. And he says to them now, because of what they did, they now, the nations of the world, because Adam disobeyed and Eve was deceived, the nations of the world now were confused. They were able to see each other at one state, but now because of the harvest from the enemy, what was beautiful now became a bother. What you used to love about me at one time, because of the harvest now, is a bother to you. It's a burden to you now. And so relationally, boom, we're disconnected. And so watch God now. He has to bring judgment. Because I said earlier that there was joyous occasion as they ate from the tree, as they ate from God's provision, as they participated in what God was doing, there was harmony. There was unity. There was togetherness. Isn't that what we're all praying? After Tuesday, come on. For harmony. For unity. For peace. So God is giving a flashback. Well, go back to Genesis and I'll show you how I reconcile the nations. If he can do it for two people, surely he can do it for 350 million people. Surely he can do it. And so in these two were the nations and because of their disobedience, God now had to bring judgment. And so the heart of God now was exposed when he says, let there be light. And when he said, in creation, that the waters part, and every part of creation, there was God's heart. 
And now he gets to his crown jewel, humanity. And he now says, I have to bring judgment on them. And so the reason for the judgment, as we see in John chapter 3, watch this now. The reason for the judgment is this. God is so amazing. Someone say God's amazing. Uh huh. And he says this. He, he says this. Now, he brings judgment in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. He sent him out of the garden of Eden. So God sent him out from the harvest. <laughs> oh, God. And by the time you leave here this morning, you see why God is sending you back into the harvest now. He sends them out in judgment. Come on, somebody. But he calls you to say now with joy, go back into the harvest. So he looks at you now, and only God, he's not conflicted. He doesn't have a split personality. He's not confused. He knows exactly what he's doing. His nature is awesome. And so here he now says, and he goes, says, So he drove out the man, and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, verse 24, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And then it ends, and then the writer of Genesis, Moses, says, now, excuse me, because there was no chapters, the person who put the scriptures together, um, looked, and said, okay, now let's make that end, and let's put chapter 4 right here. Let me show it again. The original scriptures had no chapters and verses in it. It was when they got the scroll, they got the words, they said, okay, this is probably where he ends, and it's over. So the individuals who looked at it and said, okay, I think this is the ending, now chapter 4. But watch this now. But God is so awesome. He's so awesome. He's so awesome. God now says this. I can't have you in your condition. Eat of the tree of life. Because then you, because of a law of harvest, will prevent me from stepping into your world. Come on. And to be able to be the redemption that I had for you. Because Christ was crucified. Remember Jesus who introduced God and got out of the way? He was crucified from the foundation of the world. So God is saying, I'm, a, a declaration was made before I even made the nations. And so it says, because of my character, I can bring joy and judgment. He now intervenes and says, I got to keep you away from the tree of life. No matter what direction you come, you can't touch it. Because if you participate in that tree, in your condition, you'll be in that condition forever. And you will rob me of an opportunity to be your redeemer. My heart is so big. He says what you see as judgment. God sees I see it as justice. I can't let the devil bring accusation against my character. So though your character changed, my character cannot change. We are called, my brothers and sisters, to introduce God and to do what? Just get out of the way and look what I can do, Adam and Eve. Just get out of the way. And if I got to send you out of the way, I will do that because I don't need your help. I got a harvest for you and I don't want you to mess up this harvest I have for you. Get out of the way. And if you ever think to come back, I'm going to have a sword there. It's called the word of God. Come on, somebody. Uh Uh-huh. And when people bring things, come on. When people say stuff about you and you know it's not God's word, just throw it against the sword. I I cut that down. I I chop that word down. You will not prophesy those things over me. I cut it down. Someone say, cut it down. Cut it down. Woo, God Almighty. That devil brings accusation. Cut it down. He says you're a loser. Cut it down. He says you're not going to win. Cut it down. He says you're going to die. Cut it down. Whatever he says that doesn't lie for God's word. Cut it down. You lying devil you. Come on. Huh? Mm. Introduce God. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Well, let me do that. Amen, somebody. So here it is now in James chapter 1. I've got to give you the law of harvest. And I need for you. This is, this is important. This is important. In James chapter 1, how you can distinguish the two different harvests. And then we're going to watch what God has for us. James chapter 1. 
Thank you, Holy Ghost. This is some good stuff. Amen, somebody. I think I'm going to listen to this tape over again. Amen. Praise God. Oh, Jesus. Well, here it is. Let's start at verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. So it says here, um, Blesses the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who do what? Okay. So here it is in verse 12 now. It says, um, we see the tree of life kept it away. And now he's saying, those who, those who endure temptations, trials, when you have been approved, you will receive the crown of life. So from Genesis, we see life. And now in James, we're seeing life. And he says, which the Lord has promised to those who what? Love him. God's love for the harvest. And he says now, let no one say when he is tempted. He goes from the word trial, and now he talks about this word temptation. That I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. It goes against his character. It goes against his nature. And that's why we have to be careful. We can't call good evil and call evil good. You'll confuse a nation. And you will then stop the rain that we need for God to come and bless. And look at it, The church has access to a dimension that other people who don't know Jesus, who are not part of the kingdom, they can't access what we can access. So there's a harvest that's available if the church then will understand what I'm reading right here. Even about Elijah, who was a man of like passion, it says, in chapter 5 of James, that when he prayed, the heavens... No rain. Judgment. And after three and a half years, the same prophet came and says, rain. And rain came down. Joyful occasion. Based on the prayer that was out of their mouth. Right? Because, because guess what? The prophets were called to introduce God and get out of the way. Right? And, and so we, we see here. He says, so don't say that when you're tempted, you're tempted, because God can't be tempted with evil. He says, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So saying the law of harvest that's negative is because we're drawn away by our desires and we are enticed. So the way the enemy was sitting here and talking, communicating with Eve, communicating with Adam, they were both there, communicating with them is because they were drawn away and they were enticed. Right? And look at the consequence he's saying. Look at the judgment. It says here, then, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So in other words, right now you may think, oh, nothing's happening because it hasn't conceived fully yet. <laughs> Come on now. Nine months to bring forth a child, right? Come on, somebody. And so when we do things as a church, and God is like, come on now, you got to get that seed out because it's going to produce a harvest you don't want. Get it out. Cut it out. You don't want that seed because once it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Death of a relationship, death of finance, you name it. That's what it brings forth. Not necessarily physical death, but it brings forth a separation of a relationship. Why? Because sin was conceived and it was birthed. And it brings forth a judgment from God. And that's because of the law of harvest. Not because God is saying, I'm going to do this so you can know me more. Uh-uh. It's because of that. God is love realized that you're fighting against that. You're not going to give the enemy any room. You're going to believe God all the way till the end. Because I have a crown of life that's going to be given to me because he promised that. So no matter what trials I'm going through, no matter what tribulation I'm facing, I am not going to allow the enemy to conceive in me sin because it will bring forth death. And the ultimate death is separation from God. And he said, you don't want to separate. My heart is so big that God has such a love for his church, has such a love for you and I, that it's bigger than any desire, bigger than any pleasure, bigger than any temptation that you're going to face. Moses said this, and I repeat, in the name of the Lord. He says, listen, I'd rather dwell, I'd rather suffer with the people of God than dwell in the pleasure of sin for a season. I'd rather that. I'd rather that. Right? I'd rather that. And so... He, he talks about the harvest, but then he continues and he says this now, which is really cool, right? He, he goes and he continues on. He says, but do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. <laughs> I love verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. 
and comes down from the who? Father of lights. With whom there is no variation and shadow of turning. Of his own will he had brought us forth by the word of truth. That we might be kind of a first fruits of his creation. So it separates the two harvests. Separates two harvests. Now here is where, here is where now I end. And Jesus now, who introduced God, get out of the way. He said one other thing. Jeremiah chapter 8 is an Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah is speaking to a people who have allowed evil to come in and has caused them to hold back the blessing of God in Jeremiah chapter 8. He speaks to them. In Jeremiah chapter 8, he says, I know you've had pastors and others who have come and have, have healed you lightly, he says, in one, one translation. He says, they, they didn't bring the full counsel of God. They, they compromised in the midst of the culture. And he said, they didn't benefit you at all. But I didn't forget about you. They didn't benefit you, but I didn't forget about you. Because I always got me someone who's going to stand for the word of God. I have a church, come on, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And so here it is when you know that you have received the heart of God. Here is how you will know that in Jeremiah chapter 8. As I was studying this. When you know you have the heart for God and your heart's wide open and you have a gift. And that's what's important. Because God has given us a gift and he wants to send us back into the harvest. God loves the harvest. And as he sent Jesus, he's sending us into the harvest. So you're all laborers. That's what you are. This is not your harvest. You're laborers. And your harvest is there. And so here's when you know that you have the heart of God and you love the harvest. Jeremiah chapter 8. And Jeremiah now has given the condition of the nation of Israel. He says, I came to you and tried to find fruit on you. And there was nothing. Because of the foreign gods and, and the idol worship that, that, that you did. And it would have been okay because God has all authority and he could have just left him in that condition. But he doesn't. And all of a sudden now, here it is that Jeremiah now, he starts to prophesy the heart of God. And when you read Jeremiah chapter 8, when you get to the last part of it, you don't know whether it's God speaking or Jeremiah speaking. Let me say that again because you missed it. When you're in one with God's heart, people can't know, they won't discern between whether it's God that's speaking or you that's speaking because you're one now. Oh, good God Almighty. Remember I heard a story about this guy and, and they brought him to church. Uh, this woman was trying to get her husband saved and he came to church and the pastor preached about hell. He's dead in hell and brimstone. And he got out of that service and goes, I'm never going to go back there again. Dude preached about hell. I'm not going to go back there. So months, I'm not sure how long, you know, went by and she invited him again. He said, okay, I'm going to come to church. And he comes in and sure enough, the next message is about hell. The different church. The, it's about hell again. He's like, oh gosh. His wife's like, oh my goodness. And at the end of the message, he came and gave his heart to Jesus. And his wife said, hold on a second here. What happened? The last time we went to a church to preach about hell, you were like, I'm not going back. And this time, different church, they preached about hell. And here it is now that you came and gave your heart to Jesus. He said this. Well, the first guy preached about hell and was hoping I would go there. But the second guy preached about hell and wanted to stop me from going there. And so the second person I'm talking about, when you have the heartbeat of God, you'll be able to bring a judgment message, but you will see the heart of God so wide that you embrace them in the midst of bringing that judgment. And so we're called, brothers and sisters, not to shy away from sin, not to compromise, not to coddle. Come on, somebody. But they got to know, is it God or is it the prophet? I can't tell the difference because it's the heartbeat of God. It's the heartbeat of God. And Jeremiah is weeping and he's crying for these people. He didn't say, no, 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 you deserve this. He goes, no. And Jeremiah is weeping. He's crying. 
because of their condition. He's, he's weeping. He, and, and, and Jeremiah is saying, God, every time I open my mouth, they want to kill me. I bring your heart and they want to kill my heart. And Jeremiah says, I don't want to preach anymore. I don't want to use my gift anymore. And we come in the church and we get hurt trying to operate in our gifts and all of a sudden we shut it down. Huh? We, we shut it down because I tried and they didn't receive me and we shut it down. Yeah, we're coming to church, but we're not shouting like we used to shout. We're not dancing like we used to dance. We're not doing things we used to do. Because, because they shut it down. Huh? So Jeremiah says, I'm not preaching anymore. So there, God. And here's what God said to him. He didn't call him. He didn't say, there, there. It's okay, Jeremiah. He says, if you repent... If you repent of what you just said to me, I'll make you go back into my harvest and preach my word. And Jeremiah realized something. It's the heart of God. And that's where we get the scripture that we preach and use it for revival. Your word was like fire shut up in my bones. What Jeremiah was saying, even if I tried to stop to preach your word, if I try to muzzle my mouth, my toe will start to preach. Come on, somebody. And if you try to hold my hands back, my, my liver will give God a praise. Because your word is like fire in my bones. Is there anybody on fire today? Don't call the fire department. Let them burn, baby. Let them burn. Let them burn. Come on, my God is a consuming fire. I feel the Holy Ghost tell me it's time for you to burn. Come on. I'm going to put you on fire. Hallelujah. Because fire always attracts people. You got to burn. Who wants revival? You got to burn. Oh God, I got to get out of the way. I got to get out of the way. Watch this now. They took Paul and Silas and locked them up in prison. And because these two were dangerous to their kingdom. They put guards on top of guards to watch over them. <laughs> Do I got any Paul and Silas in the house? Come on, somebody. And so they lock their feet together. And they lock their hands together. And they says, okay, this will contain you. But when you serve an unlimited God. Ah, you're unstoppable. And so, so I believe they check their feet. Yep, it's locked up. And they check their hands. Yes, it's locked up. But they forgot to lock our mouths up. He says, you know what time it is? <laughs> Do you know what time it is? Come on, somebody. He says it's about midnight. Well, that'll do for me. Come on, somebody. And they start to praise God. They start to exalt God. They start to magnify God. They said, God, you're big. You're bigger than these prison walls. You're bigger than these chains. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise you. And because of their praise, the foundation of the prison was shaken. And all of a sudden, that which bound them was now loose. Come on, somebody. You've got a praise on the inside of you. I believe there's a song that says, I got to get the praise out. Come on, somebody. I've got to get this praise out. And when you understand the goodness of God, you've got to praise him. You've got to worship him. Jeremiah, and he makes this statement here. In Jeremiah, and he says this. He says in Jeremiah chapter 8, he goes on. And he says this word. And he says, I need my spectacles, praise God. And he says, um, watch this now. I would comfort myself in sorrow, verse 18 of, of chapter 8. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in, in, in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I'm hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken a hold of me. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician 
there. Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? When they heard those words, they couldn't distinguish between if it was God's heart or Jeremiah's heart. And when you understand that we're called to introduce God and get out of the way, when you get out of the way, they'll still see God's heart. But if you stay in the way and God gets out of the way, they're going to see your heart. And the Bible says our heart is desperately wicked. Every intention of our heart is, 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 is not for God. So we have to introduce people. Hi, I want you to introduce you to God. Because the miracle you need is going to come from him. Come on. I might be the vessel, but it's going to come from him. All you need is coming from God. I have to introduce God and get out of the way. And so my final point. Final point. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Final point is this. Jesus now goes to one interview in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And now he says to his disciples, I have to go to Samaria. I have a harvest that needs to be healed. And it's this year for her. What a difference a year can make. And now he says, I got to go. He says, but why are you taking the hard way? Because no matter how hard it is, I'm going to come to you. And he takes the hard way and he goes, because we have a divided nation. And he says, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why then is the health of my daughters? Why, why are they not recovered yet? Why are they not healed? He said, I got to go to a nation. Because the Samaritans came out of the nation with Israel. And they had an issue. And they formed their own religion. They formed their own things. He says, fine. I'm going to take my God. I'm going to take my God. And they were divided. And Jesus now comes. And he says, oh my goodness. I have to introduce God and get out of the way. And Jesus says, I got to go to her. And he goes to her now. And he's speaking to a nation who's connected to another nation. And he now comes. And he now speaks. And he brings rest he brings wholeness he brings everything he introduced her to God and he gets out of the way because she drops the water pot and goes running Jesus says I was sent to her and now I sent her good God Almighty I said earlier throwback Sunday that he says I'm going to take you out of the garden to bring you back in so he kicked him out of the garden Jesus came into the garden come on somebody and sent her back into the garden And he now goes and gives her a message. And here it is. She now goes, I've been restored. I've been healed. I was introduced to God. And he got out of the way. But I got to bring you to the way, the truth, and the life. So she goes over and says, come see a man. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. He says, you got to come to the altar. With your brokenness, come to the altar. With your pain, come to the altar. With your harvest, come to the altar. He said, come to the altar. Because the place where this nation will be restored will be the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross... Red, white, black, yellow. It doesn't matter. It's at the cross. It's the harvest. It's the harvest. It's the harvest. It may not be political, but it's prophetic. Come on, somebody. Come on, come on. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. And she goes and she says, come see a man. Let me introduce you and get out of the way. And they came. And they came. And they said, come to the altar. Come to the altar. God loves the harvest. And now, I'm going to get out of the way and watch what God's going to do as you come to the altar.
there no physician here? Why are my daughters? Why are you not yet healed? Why are you not yet healed? Why are you not yet healed? Why do you still hurt? Why Why do you still struggle? Why do you still struggle? Last week, God said, if you would come, I will heal you. And um, all week, um, it just in my mind, like, God, you're so kind. You're so kind that um, you, you say it all the time. You're healer. You're, you're good. But then he still makes it personal. Like, no, if you come, I'll heal you. He still... He still gives the invitation. He still extends grace. He still says, um, that bomb in Gilead, he's that bomb. He is the great physician. Um, And it's not just physical healing. Some of us, the battle in our minds daily, it drains us. The daily battle in our minds drain us. And this week I had to say, um, God, you promised if I come that you will heal me. So this draining, I don't want it anymore. So if I come, Lord, you promised you'd heal me. And again, I like quick fixes. I like the instantaneous. Um, And it was amazing to me because um, I went to the Father and he healed my heart. So it's the thing that drained me all the time Um, yesterday morning I woke up and I wasn't drained that's huge for me I know about that's huge for me Um, so with that promise being fulfilled he's the same he doesn't change Um, he still extends it you come I will heal you and I know how long um, but today again he wants that if you come I will heal you so the thing that drains you um, has no right to drain you if you allow it hey but it doesn't have to be so That was beautiful, Katea. He's saying, come to the altar. His, his arms are open wide. Forgiveness happened a long time ago. Forgiveness is so secured from what Jesus Christ did even before we were born. So is there no bomb in Gilead? There is a bomb. His name is Jesus Christ. And he says that if you come, I will heal you. I don't care what it is. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be mental. It could be, um, I don't know, we're a three-part being. Name something. doesn't matter because his name is greater. Um, and his promises are sure. So all shame and all guilt aside, all... All shame and all guilt aside, he's saying, Come.
before. Now some of you will stay in your seat and then that's fine. Um, But there is but there's some of you that God's called you to heal a nation. I was at work and um, a lady who knows I'm a pastor says, what are you going to preach on Sunday? It's after the election. I said, I'm going to preach what God tells me to preach. I'm not moved by man's vote or anything like that. I'm moved by what the Holy Spirit tells me to preach. What I believe through this entire process, this one-year process, is this will be the greatest harvest of the church. Listen to me. Because we see that it gets the darkest where God shines the most. And if you will listen to what I'm telling you right now, and you will come to this altar, he has gifted you to be a healer of the nations. Because when people come and they start talking to you, here's what you're going to tell them. Let me introduce you to God. I'm going to get out of the way. I don't understand why this happened. Let me introduce you to God and get out of the way. And why is this going on? I don't know. I'm going to introduce and get out of the way. I'm going to introduce you to God and get out of the way. That is what you're going to do. When someone comes and says, what's going on? Hey, come to the altar. Come to the altar. And my last thing is this. Um, Tim, when I saw this up here, and I'm like, I know it's a coffee bar. But the Lord kept looking and says, no, Rowan, it's an altar. You built an altar, Tim. Where you can lay your sacrifices on. And that's why with this song, come to the altar. He's saying, come to the altar. Where I will alter your life. So if you believe that you've been gifted to heal a nation, you may need to be healed as a nation yourself. I want you to come. I want you to have the boldness to come out of your seat and to come. And I'm going to introduce you. You've been introduced to God and I'm getting out of the way. No one's going to touch you. No one's laying hands on you. This one is God. This is God. 